My guest today is a writer, performer, director, and producer for over 40 years in the television business. The Practical Theater Company, which he co-launched in the late 1970s, has had many extremely successful alumni, such as Megan Mullally, Richard Kind, Laura Inns, Gary Kroger, Brad Hull, and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Spotted by Dick Abersole, he spent a year at Saturday Night Live. After leaving one season, he went back to the PTC for five years and then to Hollywood, where he launched a second career as a television producer. I'm happy to talk to you, Mr. Paul Burroughs. There you go. Is that how it's pronounced? Did I pronounce it right? Okay. That's okay. No, nobody gets it right, right, you know, for the time. I grew up in an Italian neighborhood and in all Italian schools, so most of the time I was Barossi or Barroso, even though there's not an O at the end of my name. Right. So, you know, I'm used to it. The name is actually, uh, you know, French, Barros. Okay. Growing up, who were your early comedy influences? Well, my father was a huge vaudeville fan. <laughs> I was going to ask you about um, that Sid Caesar hosted the show in February of 83. funny because some of his hosts, Joan Rivers, um, Jerry Lewis, the Smothers Brothers, they weren't the big 80s grabs at the time.
sketches um, as opposed to just camera blocking. Um, you know, generally the only rehearsal that you get is, you know, you do a read-through on Wednesday and then you start camera blocking, you know, on Thursday. Um, but you never really get into a room and rehearse sketches the way, say, the practical theater company would do with rehearsals, you know. Uh, but he really wanted to rehearse. And, you know, that threw the organization into a bit of a tizzy because where are they going to rehearse? There was no rehearsal rooms. So they had to kind of book a couple larger rooms to go ahead and for us to rehearse. And, you know, and I loved it because I got to rehearse with, with Sid. But, uh, you know, he had a very, very, you know, you know different approach. And, uh, you know, he was just a stunning talent. Always, always was. Did you get to write something that went on the show? Mary Gross on, she remembered the silent film as one of his, her favorite sketches from her time there. Sketch format, and uh, you know, from, from then on, you know, that became you know 
you went to Northwestern University and you were the second person I've talked to in three days that appeared in Three Penny Opera. Oh, were you, were you Mac the Knife? Oh, I actually did not appear. I directed it. Um, the uh, our, our Mac the Knife came out of the uh, came out of the school of, of music, and he was a real singer. No, I directed it and, uh, and cast various members in it. In fact, Julia, I cast in in Three Penny Opera. She was one of you know one of the whores uh, that uh, you know Mac the Knife was hanging around. Mm. Mac Keith. Yes. And, theater company were this were how much was improv how much was pre-written sketches So is it like what people think of improv, like name, name a place, name a, and then you, never. well, never? something 
we can expand on that a little because we know exactly where we're going next and how it's going to end. Because for us, every sketch has to have a good beginning, middle, and end. It has to have some surprises during the course of it. There has to be a bit of a twist, you know, at the end. So, you know, we're, we're not about just trying to get, you know, the first big laugh and then scene. You know, we're, we're much more, you know, involved than that. And is it true that you guys got hired from Saturn Live because basically Second City was tired of getting their people poached and said there's a great show next door? <laughs>
Um, so it was a very, very, you know, interesting time. And, uh, you know, in a, in a way, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times because, you know, I love being on stage. And, you know, writing for television ain't the same thing. The original theater was the John Lennon Theater, correct? The John Lennon Auditorium, which, of course, was not the John Lennon Memorial Auditorium. He the, actually named it for John Lennon before he got killed. Um, months before. Um, because, of course, we were just absolute, you know, diehard Beatles fans. But yes, it was called the John Lennon Auditorium at, uh, you know, on Custer uh, Street and Howard Street in Evanston. Now, is that just your generation being just humongous Beatles fans? Or is that just a coincidence that you and Gary, um, and I guess... Your first episode of Saturday Night Live, you got to do the PTC Club. Right. And you play the piano in that sketch? June was kind of loosely based on 
Tammy Tammy Faye Baker. And that was on the Christmas show that uh, Eddie hosted. Yes, it was, of course, because it was a Christmas message about St. Joseph. It was the Christmas, Christmas message from April, May, June. Yeah. Nukes are for kooks. Was that something that Ebersole, he put it in the show, but he's very anti-politics on that on the Arab Yeah, movies. well, nukes are for kooks is actually, you know, we had done that sketch as part of the Graphical Theater Company. Um, and it was kind of a takeoff on there was a town that had passed a law that everybody had to carry a gun. Um, so we extrapolated it out to everybody has to carry, you know, a nuclear warhead. Um, so every now and then we would adapt something that we'd done at the practical theater company. And, and just one little uh, one little thing to point out, you know, Brad, you know, Brad handled the anchor desk for you know weekend update. And you know, and I would I would I would write a lot for him for that, and Herb Sargent, of course. And, you know, early on, we wrote this piece where Brad wound up playing the guitar and then smashing it. Mm -hmm. And the director, Davey Wilson, uh, didn't want us to do that and, and literally said to us, physical comedy is what John Belushi did, meaning nobody else can. We're not From what I've uh, gleaned from talking to people from the show, it's more of he didn't want to have to direct it because it was too difficult. wrote the Tonight Show sketch with the Smothers Brothers.
so, you know, I, I worked with them and wrote this sketch where, you know, Tommy is playing Johnny Carson and his guest is Dickie's mothers. And at some point, of course, you know, Dickie just stops and says, you know what, this isn't working. Tommy, you are a terrible Johnny Carson. You know, so that was a lot of fun. But when I went to the rehearsal of that, like on the Thursday or the Friday beforehand, maybe um, the director was having a hard time with the Smothers Brothers trying to work out this joke. And, you know, I, in, you know, I got involved and the Smothers Brothers and I both agreed that this was how the joke was going to work. And, and Davey wasn't listening to any of us. He wasn't listening to Tommy's mothers or Dickie's mothers. How was he going to listen to this, you know, 23-year-old kid? And, uh, you know, so after that, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't pay much attention to going to rehearsals because, you know, there was no point. Right. You know, what's funny is that Tom Smothers did that impression, the, the non-verbal Johnny Carson impression, on Letterman a couple of times and on his last appearance on The Tonight Show. Yeah. sketch that basically disappeared from S- <laughs> you know which one I'm referring? Are you talking about Best Little Whorehouse on the Prairie? Best Little Whorehouse on the Prairie. Somebody found it. Well, the reason that disappeared, of course, is because of who started it. Um, I wrote that with, uh, with Robert Blake. Right. rest of the episode survived you know the his his uh the opening the monologue they just took that
employee at the time. Well, somebody found it, and um, I was able to see it, and it's really, it's, it's funny. Oh, it's funny. It's funny. But, you know, I was kind of, you know, I was kind of bummed that, oh, the girls are going to have to wear the, wear underwear again, and, you know, it was, you know, to me, to me, those kind of jokes are like shooting fish in a barrel, you know? Um, it's like, it's like making dick jokes, you know, right. or making fart jokes or making poop jokes, you know. Yeah, you can do that. People will laugh, you know. It's scatology. That's just going to work. Um, you overdo that, and, you know, and to me it becomes boring. But uh, what, what made that particular sketch work for me was just, you know, Robert Blake and the joy he took in taking down Michael Lansky. <laughs> it just sounds fun. Michael Landon. Okay, live at five. Yes, I'm from New York, so I know. Yeah. Got to work with uh, Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas and wrote a sketch, Hellbent for Glory, which is a really uh, funny World War II parody. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, I think we'd actually had that sketch written and and hadn't really got it over the top, but, um, you know, but they really embraced it. And, of course, they had a great role for, uh, you know, for Eddie, you know, being the guy who says, oh, no, the black guy always gets it. Right. And, I really like how they, you know, uh, you know how they filmed the market, created that opening where, you know, you know, people are jumping out of airplanes and stuff like that. Um, had a good role for Gary, which was nice. Had a good role for Brad, um, you know. But and, and we often did, you know, these kind of World War II combat sketches in Meow and, and at the Practical Theater Company. So that one was right in our wheelhouse. Do you have any other memorable sketches that you wrote? Battered husband. What's that? Battered husband. Well, yes, and you know, battered husbands. You know, I, I, I pretty much wrote by myself, and you know, it was it was an education to me to see how difficult it was to stage Gary getting punched and flying over the couch because that's something that Gary could do if we were in a bad computer company. You know, I I, I did Gary fly over the couch. Um, and, you know, and ultimately, you know, Mary did it. But just working with the director was just like, this isn't that hard, you know? Right. But, you know, but it was definitely a, a good one. And the other one for Gary was, uh, you know, Zeus, you know, in high school. Mm. That was another one that was, that was fun. Oh, and then there was uh, one that Brad and I wrote when um, it was a musical piece. 
Oh, Guy Crazy? Yeah, Guy Crazy. We wrote the song Guy Crazy, and uh, um, what's her name? The, the blonde on the show. Um, Robin Duke? Robin Duke. She sang it, yeah. And what was it like working with uh, Stevie Wonder? episode with uh, Ed Koch was the host. Did you get anything on that week? I was going to ask you about Tracy Torme. Tischler called me and said, you 
you know, you know, they were going to have to, you know, you know, basically, you know, cut me for uh, financial reasons. Instead of renegotiating, which, you know, my agent should have done, um, why I was getting this call out of the blue and it wasn't coming to my agent, I still don't know. Um, but, you know, instead of that, I took the opportunity to tell those two gentlemen who had given me my biggest break in show business, say just how unfunny they were and just unload all of my frustrations on them, which was unfair to them, you know, two very poor negotiating <laughs> on my part, you know, and, and three, you know, just what happens when, you know, when you think you know more than you do. And one of the things that I tell Ed, because I work with a lot of young producers and young writers over my many years of television, is, you know, pick your fights carefully. You can't fight every day. Not everything is worth fighting about, you know. And just remember that the people you work for also have, have pressures. They also have concerns. And those concerns might be affecting the way they're dealing with you. So understand things, you know, in perspective. Um, because I, would, I, I, I could have handled that in a much better way. I suppose on some level I wanted to get back on stage. Um, but, and in subsequent, you know, subsequent to that, you know, I, I wrote back to Eversol and we remained on, you know, friendly terms. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll tell you this, here, here, here's what you can't know about Eversol. I was a real gym rat and he liked that I was kind of athletic and that I was a, you know, guy who went to the gym all the time. And he told me he had a, he had a, his bathroom was right off of his office, literally Right next to his desk, there was a door. You'd go in there. It was the bathroom and the shower. And he told me I could use that shower anytime I wanted. Mm. Damned if I didn't use that shower anytime I wanted. <laughs> he would have a meeting. I would come in, you know, walk in, take a shower. He's still having a meeting. Come back out with my hair wet and comb and walk out. How good he was to me. Oh, that's just Paul. I let him do that. back for the 15th anniversary? I did not. And then I know after that, uh, one, you had to be at least three season writer to be invited to the other anniversaries. Yeah, I, you know, I, 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 I did not. I mean, the nice thing about SNL for me is as a result, um, you know, my next job was, you know, was head writer on a show for NBC, you know? Uh, because that credit carried so much weight. And between that and the fact that I went back to the practical theater company and continued
continued, you know, to have hits on stage that were getting press. Um, but uh, you know, that experience, even though it was a year, it had a huge positive effect on my career on television. So when all was said and done, you know, it was a good thing. Although it was, you know, it was a mixed bag getting through it. Right. And when you went back to the Practical Theater Company, um, some shows, Baba Looney. What do you? Yeah, Baba Looney. Um, right after Megafun ran, which was the you know that was the one that Richard Kind was in and Tom Virtue and Isabella Hoffman. Um, that show ran for almost a year, and then uh, we came in and did Baba Looney, and then Baba Looney, uh, you know, got picked up by a by a producer named Arthur Cantor and taken off Broadway to the Provincetown Playhouse. Um, but Frank Rich killed us. You know, he just hated it. Um, wasn't his cup of tea. In retrospect, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it was just kind of too zany, too out there, you know, too youthful. Chicago got it, but, you know, New York, you know, didn't. Frank Rich didn't. And although Frank Rich has since redeemed himself in my eyes by being so against Trump. <laughs> and uh, he's actually subsequently did a lot of work with Julia on, uh, you know, on Veep. So he, uh, he's a much funnier guy than I realized, but at the time, I mean, he just absolutely trashed Bob Lilly. And then, you know, a year or so later, uh, you know, they got together with the woman who's now my wife and a guy named Jamie Barron, and we did a show called Armored Security that ran for a year in Chicago. And uh, there are still sketches from that show that we do to this day. That's great. Then it got to the point where, you know, my my kids were, you know, were starting to get, well, I, I had no kids yet, but I was just about to get married. I got married in 1990, and then it was, uh, you know, time to go make real money, and, you know, the stage wasn't going to be enough. And I'd already started to get TV work and in uh, Chicago, and then the show that I was doing in Chicago moved out to Los Angeles, so I went out there with it, and you know that was the story. I just kept taking the next job in Los Angeles. And that was totally hidden video. Um, the first, no, actually, the first thing was uh, a show called. Uh, uh, it was not. It was, it was featuring Johnny Brandmeier, who was a uh, radio personality on the Loop in Chicago. Um, and so we did a special with him. He, he got like a, a deal for like three specials on NBC. One of them we did in in Chicago. It was the first thing that, that was ever shot at the new NBC Tower in Chicago. Then we went out to Los Angeles, and it was produced by Fred Silverman, and uh, you know it was a big deal. And then after that is when I went to. Uh, uh, Gary was the host of Comic Strip Live. Right. So I brought on, as, as the writer there, they had two bigger writing staff, and I got basically brought on to decide who should stay and who should go. So I was kind of like the hatchet man mm. again. And I went from there to, to uh, Totally Hit Video, which was great because I got to be on camera again. And I was a head writer on Totally Hit Video for about, uh, what, two and a half, three years, something like that. It was mm. great. Was that was that special called On the Loose with Johnny B? Yes, Johnny B On the Loose. I remember that watching that as uh, God. I must have been twelve on uh. It was on, on they aired it in the summer. Yeah, 
novel about my experience doing that. I actually have all the notes for the novel, just haven't written it. But we had a meeting at Fred Silverman's house. Um, so once again, it's going to be experiences where like, I'm kind of way too young to be in this situation. Mm. And I'm there, and Jeffrey Liss is the director. And Jeffrey Liss directed um, Richard Pryor live on the Sunset Strip, right? And, you know, and he's, he's directed Oscar ceremonies and everything else, right? And Ray Clawson is the set designer, and he's a legendary set designer. And we're doing it in Johnny Carson's studio. But we're at Fred's house. We're having a production meeting. And there's a sketch where Johnny wants to be in a giant bowl of dog food and have like 50 dogs, you know, released while he's in the bowl of dog food and all the dogs are eating mm-hmm. food, right? Mm-hmm. Well, for 15 or 20 minutes, we are discussing whether it's better for it to be dry food or wet food. Right. And I, I looked around and I thought, let me just, if I, if I knew how much all these people were being paid, I know what I'm being paid. These people are all making exponentially more than that. What have we just spent to discuss the difference between the comedic difference between dry food and wet food? I would have thought. For me, it's a no-brainer. It's wet food. Oh yeah, it's grosser. Exactly, it's going to be wet food. But I'm sure that Ray Clawson and his beautiful set was probably the guy arguing that maybe wet food wasn't the way to go. Except that if he didn't like the shot, it take forever. True. I, would, I thought maybe somebody would think that would be too Letterman. Yeah, well, there's that, too. But, uh, you know, but Johnny, he, Johnny was a piece of work. He was used to, kind of like me at SNL, used to doing his own thing, and it always works. And there was a moment during the taping, the taping was taking a long time, and I went to the control room, and Fred Silverman um, tells me, go get Johnny, I want to speak to him. And so... I took this long walk down the hallway, and I said, hey, Johnny, you know, Fred wants to talk to you. And he goes, tell Fred I don't want to talk. Mm. So I'm walking back down the hallway thinking, this could be my last walk down this hallway because I'm about to tell one of the most famous producers in television history that, that this guy that he's doing this show with for the first time doesn't want to speak to him. And of course, I went in there and told Fred that, you know, Johnny doesn't want to speak to him, and, you know, that did not go well. No. But it was just one of those things where it was kind of like a twisted version of my favorite year. Right. Did you did you want to ask him about Super Train? Super Train? You know, that, that... Oh, my God. That's right. That's right. No, I'm sure Fred didn't want to discuss Super Train. Oh, okay. <laughs> Right. Now you did a lot of those specials for TV Land, um, you know, hundred greatest moments in television history. Oh, yeah. Or which one? Did you have a favorite one? Uh, actually, I think that my favorite was probably the Tom TV themes, um, because 
I'm, I'm a bit of a musician myself. Well, actually not a musician. I kind of play guitar, but I'm a huge music fan. And it was great, you know, to talk to, you know, people like, uh, you know, um, uh, what's his name, Schwartz, who did, uh, you know, the Brady Bunch oh, theme. Yeah, Sherwood the Schwartz. Theme, yeah. And uh, Lalo Schifrin, who did the Mission Impossible theme. Um, so I got to do some of those interviews as well as basically uh, I EP'd that. I really like that. And then we did another series for uh, for TV Land that was African Americans in Television, which was a three part series that was also, you know, a lot of fun to do. Um, that was a period where for like 14, 15 years, I was at the Sunset Gower lot working with Gay Rosenthal Productions, and we were usually knocking out three or four series and, you know, two or three specials a year. Yeah, I watched a lot of them. Cause, uh... That was right after my years at, uh, at Behind the Music. Hmm. I watched that too. Oh, yeah. These are popular shows. And um, did you create Little People Big World? Well, here's an interesting thing. Um, the, uh, I, I sold a show in syndication called Strange Universe. And it was a five day a week, um, kind of in a regular, you know, straight up, you know, news format that would report on, you know, all kinds of, you know, paranormal kind of things. And Documentaries with Mary Kay Letourneau and Elizabeth Smart are about them. Um, That's right. It's called Autobiography for, uh, for A&E. 
Right. So did you? And, uh, you know, the Elizabeth Smart one. You know, that was great because you know I had a lot of her family. You know, talking to me for the first time. And on that show, I literally I wrote it. I did all the interviews. I did all the field work. It was really kind of a one man band. I had someone you know helping me to you know to arrange the interviews and and do some research. And then of course I had my editor. But I really got to do those shows by the seat of my pants, which was nice. Um, and I had the time to do it. You don't often have the time to do a really, really good job. And I was working with David Michaels, who was uh, the guy I reported to. And um, he's the brother of Steve Michaels, uh, not Steve Michaels. Well, he's the, he's, the, he's the nephew of Steve Michaels, but the brother of Al Michaels. You know, do you believe in miracles? Oh, wow. Uh, the and David Michaels, he's the guy who created all those emotional packages for the Olympics for mm. skiers. And and you know and skaters and all that. He's the guy who you know turns them all into mythical beings and does all their backstories and stuff like that. So he was great to work with. Um, Mary Kay Letourneau, amazing to say right now, the late Mary Kay Letourneau. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, she passed away. Um, you know, she was a very very interesting woman, sweet in a way. Um, you know, very brittle. Um, you know, you know, but but sweet and you know and loving. And I felt you know very you know protective of her when when we worked on on the project. Um, and you know, got to spend you know a lot of time with her. This person who you know did what everybody thinks is an absolutely crazy thing. You know, she had an affair with uh, you know a kid who was like you know. 15, 16 years at the time, and then married him when he was like 19, and they were still together when I was working with him. Very interesting experience, that. Yeah. And is Big Papa and the sisters still together? <laughs> uh, actually, no, because the daughters are all in various other places. Uh, my daughter, Eva, who is the youngest, um, she's, a, she's a real working singer-songwriter, and... Uh, you know, and, you know, tours quite a bit now and is uh, is about to be in a movie with um, Jenna Ortega. Oh. Where she plays herself, uh, a pop star named Evangeline. Um, that's going to be coming out, I think, in the fall. And I think I can actually say it finally because for the longest time I couldn't. Um, oh. And then my older daughter, Maura, is out here in, uh, in Evanston now. And uh, she's helping to manage the, uh, the theater that we work at, Studio 5. And, uh, you know, she still sings. In fact, she's going to do, you know, a day at the theater in, in a little while. And then my uh, my middle daughter, uh, Amelia, is a stand-up comic. And she was a writer for Veep and for Tacoma FT. So, you know, they've all got their own lives now. And they can't get together with, uh, you know, Papa in the garage anymore. All three of them went into show business. going on with the Practical Theater Company? What shows do you have coming up?
this weekend. Then the week after that, we're going to hold a birthday party for the Prescott Theater Company. Mm. I believe it will be our 44th birthday. Um, and uh, I'll be doing a, a set of songs that I wrote, and my daughter will be doing a set of songs that she wrote. Um, and then we'll basically have a bit of a rock and roll dance after that. An evening of, um, of Shakespeare. Um, we're going to combine readings of, of, of because for Shakespeare's birthday, April 23rd, we're going to combine uh, readings of Shakespeare. We're going to perform some scenes, but also do some Shakespeare sketches that we've written over the years. Because we we often have our, have our fun with Shakespeare on stage during our comedy shows. And it all points towards this summer, we're going to do, uh, throughout the month of June, we're going to be uh, staging the new comedy. It's great, man. We're just kind of getting reestablished back here in Evanston and performing in Chicago on a, you know, on a consistent basis. It's a great thing about uh, comedy show business is you could do, there's no age limit, really. No, that's true. Although, you know, there aren't too many groups where, you know, Three comedians in their 60s are still knocking their way through, you know, 20 sketches in a review, um, no. you know, with quick changes and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, not too many people still doing that on a consistent, you know, basis. That's because you're, and, a, uh, it's probably because you're a gym rat. Thank you very much for doing this and talking to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And good luck in everything that you have coming up. Well, you too, Ian. And uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Oh, thank you very much. Have a good day.